Welcome to Vossa, celebrating Pacific and Papua New Guinean voices and discussing our future. Vossa is a storytelling project driven by experts and creatives in the region with support from the World Bank in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea. Bulavinaka, my name is Arieta Rika and I am your host. Join us on Vossa as we dive into the big ideas and challenges facing the Pacific and Papua New Guinea with those who are helping to shape our region's future. Today on Vossa, I'm thrilled to share Atala Noa on the platforms that exist for Pacific and Papua New Guinean people to tell our stories. This is a topic I'm deeply passionate about. Of course, there's no way to completely hold the stories of all that we are in the Pacific and Papua New Guinea, But that's exactly why I believe we need as many platforms for us to talk about our experiences, share our ideas, and raise issues and solutions for ourselves and our communities. In the context of this Talanoa, we refer to storytelling as how people communicate their lived experiences, their creativity, and issues, ideas, and solutions to an external audience. So basically, we are talking about how we tell the stories of who we are, to the people in the world around us. So normally in a Talanoa, each person would open up by introducing themselves and where they come from, and this one was no different. However, we spent a good amount of time yarning before we actually got into the best parts of our Talanoa. So for the sake of time, I'll briefly introduce each of our guests. First, you'll hear the voice of Drew Slatter. So Drew is the first person to respond to my opening question. Drew has a long history of storytelling in Fiji as a journalist, performing artist, and is currently the digital content producer for 350.org. The next voice you'll hear is Hilda Waynes. So Hilda is currently also a journalist and she's a producer as well for ABC Radio Australia's One Talk program. And she has over 15 years of storytelling experience within Papua New Guinea. Following Hilda are two filmmakers. So Regina Lepping is joining us from Solomon Islands. She is also the founder of the Native Lens Film Festival, which she created for Indigenous storytellers in Solomon Islands. She's also a multidisciplinary storyteller across many different avenues, and she's a strong human rights activist too. Last but not the least, we have Chosua Ake. So Chosua is also a filmmaker, and he's a photographer as well from Tonga. And he's most well known for his short documentaries telling Tongan stories from a Tongan perspective, such as Lao Lava, capturing the energy and resilience of people living with a disability in Tonga. Josua is also a recipient of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust Award for his work as a filmmaker. So on the day that we recorded this Talanoa, I was really nervous about our internet connection. It was the very first time for me to hold a Talanoa session online. And while there may be some evidence of our connection waving up and down in strength, the content of our Talanoa did not falter one bit. So without further ado, it is my great honour to open up and share today's conversation with you. Well, Bulavinaka, everybody. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that you could make it today. Um, as you know, today we're going to be talking about storytelling. There are a few threads here that I'd like to explore. How have you seen social media develop as a storytelling tool? And do you see, is there a specific person um, or type of person that tells stories in terms of um, the types of stories that are being told in on social media and what actually picks up traction? Because 
the way I see it is social media is an equal playing field. Um, but I'm very interested to see for the specific um, locations of where you are, who, who is actually telling stories. Thanks, Arietta. Um, first, like a disclaimer, I am a massive social media champion. Like, I love it. Um, it's such, like you said, it's a, you know, it's made a level playing field. It's turned um, content distribution, you know, sharing stories and sharing content. It turned, it's turned it from vertical where we get, you know, something from like a big media corporation or someone in power shared to everyone into like this horizontal storytelling space where, you know, the, the, people consuming stories and consuming information are also distributing it. And it's this, um, it can be like, you know, a real fickle beast, but it can be this amazing tool that you harness um, to combat spaces where, you know, many of us can agree with aren't conducive to freedom of expression and freedom of speech <clears throat> and where the dominant storytelling voices aren't always in our best interest. Um, in terms of who who becomes digital storytellers, you know, in my mind and in my heart, everyone is a storyteller. You know, we come from a storytelling people. We're natural storytellers, oral, music, physical, dance, everything. But um, I'm often brought back down to earth with the fact that, you know, economic status plays a big role in who has access to being, to actually being a digital storyteller. Um, when we, I, I work in the climate movement and when we're putting together our campaigns, I'm always like, you know, store, social media, we'll get it out as far as possible. And I'm often reminded there's a, only a very small portion of our island that has internet access, you know, it's the concentrated urban dwellers, yes, but a large part of our people still use the radio, still, you know, rely on newspapers. And so um, it's often important to check my one, you know, economic privilege in having um, access to all of these digital storytelling tools and uh, understand that when we're talking in the digital space, it's we're often in like this echo chamber of all the same types of people because there's the sort of same type of people that have access to these tools. Um, I'm trying to remember all the different parts of your question. Um, but yeah, it's... No, that was, that was <laughs> the, the crux of it. But also, I really want to touch on the fact that as much as we love digital storytelling, it's important to note that it does have its limits. It does have its um, its limitations. And if we do see predominant voices coming through, through digital platforms, and whether that's an issue or whether it's a positive thing, it, c it can be both. So, no, I think you've given a, a beautiful answer to that, Drew. Yeah, I think that's that's all I, I can think of <laughs> at the moment. But, yeah, I mean, there isn't... There isn't any one type of digital storyteller. I, I don't think there is, but there's definitely a, um, a demographic that has access to producing those stories and then consuming them. Yeah, I look. I totally agree with um, uh, Drew's statement about comment about you know affordability, and that's something that is also uh, very evident in Papua New Guinea as well. So we can have a population that's centered around the main centers or on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. And these are the same kind of uh, sort of socioeconomic privilege, sort of privileged, or who can afford to, you know, pay for connectivity or data and so forth. But then the 70% of the population is still out there in the, in the, rural, in the rural communities where, you know, technology, communication and technology has not reached them yet. But um, uh, digital storytelling has turned traditional, you know, way of mainstream media, just turned, it's just completely changed 
Yes, definitely, Hilda. I might hand it over to you, Regina, and then just like yeah, thank you. Uh, for for me personally, um, I see like you know ev- everyone is a storyteller in their own way. My my sister and I we started a film festival. I'll, I'll start from there, Native Lands Film Festival, and it's the first Solomon Islands Film Festival, and we were partnering with Pacifica Film Festival. We started that because lots of uh, our storytellers in Solomon Islands, we're not confident in telling our own story um, because we're, I, I think, in my observation, I think we're, we're used to like people telling us how to tell our story, um, letting foreigners come in and telling our stories. And that is actually, you know, driving everyone to like, you know, follow what the system is like. So when we started just last year, we started telling our own story of um, our environment because uh, we have very much high unsustainable logging in Solomon Islands and we wanted to protect uh, our, our forest up in what we call Sky Islands. So we started documenting and we started doing our own filming um, with the help of Neatero, a group in Hawaii. But it's totally native Solomon Islanders telling that story. And then we show it at Native Lens Film Festival and all of a sudden we have Solomon Islanders submitting their films and showing out their stories. So um, it's, you know, to break the mindset of, you know, thinking that, oh, you're not a good storyteller, they won't understand what you're saying. That is what we try, we want to break out of, you know, and, and try to come out of that one. At the moment, there's a lot of issue on the corruption happening. I'm an activist and I talk a lot on corruption and because that affects our storytelling and everyone is raising issue, everyone is just struggling to survive, get by day after day that, you know, they're forgetting, um, you know, the, the foundation of the culture, what keeps the community together is our stories, is our, is how we combine, how we unite with each other. And when we're struggling to get by day by day to find money to put food on the table, we slowly lose ourselves in that process. And I think with the COVID situation right now, it allows us to think more and reflect more because we have more time to sit around and just like talk, what, what are we going to do? What are we, how are we going to go forward? And us, oh man, we, we love to just sit down and talk, talk story. So it's good to have that again. Um, yeah, but apart from that, it's, it's a struggle. I can definitely understand Regina. Um, and I'll hand it over to you, Joshua, to, if you'd like to make any comments about the Tongan perspective on this. Yes. I myself want to do like short documentaries, right? Um, like probably 10, 20 years ago, you wouldn't be able to like do a production of like a short documentary or a video and then release it out to the world, right? You would have to have like a studio. You'd have to have like a camera crew. You'd have to have a crew for sound and stuff like that, right? But so now it's like we've come to a certain age where not only are the equipment just a little bit more cheaper, but also uploading on social media it's a real. It's like you can basically upload it free, and um, and it can be from like our perspective, from like the tongue perspective or the Pacific Islander perspective, right? With social media, we have this ability to humanize our brothers and sisters, but from our perspective, right? And so I wanted to also like the reason why I also um, wanted to start like doing my short documentaries here in Tonga was because I always saw that every time we had like well-produced documentaries, it was always from people abroad. But I actually am quite happy that we're living in a, in a moment where we're able to um, use tools like Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to our benefit and using our own voices here in Tonga or just like the Pacific Island in general. So that's why I'm, I'm happy about this whole like social media stuff and 
the ease at where, where how we can um use this tool for good. Thank you, Joshua. I mean. Uh, I don't know if you could see me, but I was doing my little, you know, yes, yes, I agree. Um, and, you know, these these topics that you've all touched on are things that I'm very passionate about, you know, and we've already all kind of touched on this. Um, do we have a collective narrative in international media? Um, and so what I mean by that is that, you know, when if you see us being portrayed as a collective group, um, and we know just amongst us that we have so many differences and we really, um, even within each particular country, there are differences in culture. But I'm, I'm interested to talk about, you know, if you do see that there is a collective narrative, who does this isolate? Is this helpful? Is this unhelpful? Yeah, well, I mean, this is, this is actually kind of like a difficult question to answer because AI, I'm not as aware of what other um, countries are consuming of Tonga. It's a, the stuff to do with like climate change and stuff, those are those are stories told because there's there's funding for that. And then there's people that they can pay for people to come over to, to tell the stories like that. And so that's what I want to inject my voice into it where I can tell other stories. Because there's, there's so many stuff here in Tonga that's just... Um, uh, not discussed um, social issues like, um, let's just say, teen pregnancy. We have colorism here in Tonga. We have, uh, yeah, we just have like a lot of different social issues here in Tonga, uh, domestic violence. And those are some of the issues that are not as focused on, not even just by people from the outside, but not even just, just, just within our society. There's a lot of taboo subjects that are not even told um, by ourselves. So I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, those are the, the type of issues that I actually want to like shine lights on and try to just have a discussion and and, and something that I also wanted to um, bring up in the last question as well were some of these uh, 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 short documentaries that I want to do is not only beneficial for Tongans to watch and then we can also discuss and and see where we can go from. Yeah, big respect to you to Joshua, fellow filmmaker. Um, it's a struggle to actually try to uh, tell a story. And at the same time, you have to like suffer a lot like in terms of voluntarily go out there and actually push to get your stories out. The, the same I see like with collective narratives, it's as, it, you know, like what Joseph said also, it's the same with Solomon Islands. It's where the money goes, um, who got the funding and to do what, uh, what kind of story they want to get out. And then again, um, I see like organization, international organizations are coming in and telling us how, how you know, what they wanted to hear. And we're just telling them what they wanted to hear. And that's how the narrative goes. And it's, it's really challenging in, in that way. And that's where it's very important that us native and um, indigenous people who always try to at least accept the volunteerism and sacrifice we have to make to tell our stories. Thank you, Regina. I um, thank you for that. And if I can hand it over to you, Hilda, for your, your thoughts. Um, yeah. With the issues, you know, that's the common narrative. Uh, I'll speak for PNG. Um, we have land issues with, you know, domestic violence and unemployment and all that. So uh, I'd, say and also look 
we can see now that there's an obvious power struggle between you know China and Australia, and you know over the Pacific Island nations and you know trying to you know influence. Uh, you know, trying to put their mark in, in those countries and uh, the traditional relationship that has been, you know, ongoing with sort of example, Papua New Guinea and, 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 and Australia is like now China is drawing an interest now. So that's the kind of conversation that is still ongoing, you know, as you know, even with COVID. Another issue is when it comes to domestic violence um, and in relation to what, you know, the media or the international media portrays an issue like this. Um, is the international media can you know write a story that's uh, arrests somebody's you know people's attention and you know but then we have to see at the local level that our does our reporting you know not only just create the shock element of the story but also what help is there and how can people who are in who are decision makers can do something and you know policies to actually implement change. And so that's the way I see it. But um, the international media really has to, I think, uh, have a local understanding and knowledge of the Pacific Island nations before they can fully qualify to tell an authentic story that affects the, the, you know, the local people and the Pacific Island people. Uh, that's all I'm going to say for now. Thank you, Hilda. I think that that was great. I'll hand it over to you, Drew. Thanks, Arietta. And uh, yeah, there's been so many relevant points raised. Uh, but yeah, uh, in terms of uh, uh, what is it, a collective narrative, uh, first off, I don't, I personally don't think we own a collective narrative as the Pacific. We are so diverse, even in Fiji, you know, it's we're such a diverse country that there's no one narrative that could possibly hold everything that we are. Um, but in terms of how we're perceived internationally, there, so there isn't a collective narrative, but there's definitely like a dominant narrative. There's a narrative that, you know, dominates kind of international knowledge of the Pacific and of Fiji. And um, in the, the space that I work in, I work in the climate movement, there's definitely a dominant narrative of the Pacific in terms of uh, climate change and the climate crisis. And it's, it's, it's a perfect example of when storytelling can be harmful and the victim narrative that the Pacific has been fit into in the climate movement is not one that we that we fully you know we fully are, but it's one that the international media love to drive. Um, you know they love to talk about us in terms of climate impacts. You know hurricanes, sea level rise, and yes, all those things are happening. But look at all of these stories of resilience. Look at all of these communities doing amazing things. Like why aren't you telling those stories? And it's and that's why we need to have this agency to to harness digital storytelling so we can tell all our own stories so that we can share all these indigenous solutions that we've been harping on for so long that the Western world is starting to finally realize is, is the solution to so many problems. And it's because of this extractive, uh, harmful storytelling that the, the, the outside world has, has fit us into. And that's where the beauty of digital storytelling comes in, where people like Chusua and Regina, you know, you're telling we, our people are telling our own stories. And that's so, so very important, I think. Um, and to tell, like, like you guys said, not just the negative stuff, but all of the amazing, positive, uh, everyday stories that our people have to share. Um, one of the effects I think COVID has had 
is, like I said, you know, the world is waking up to the fact that we cannot continue to operate the way we've been operating. Capitalism is not the best system. Um, you know, this constant extractive um, drive for profit before people is not a great model. And they're slowly starting to realize that all of these indigenous solutions that we've pushed for so long, that if, you know, we've been living our whole lives might just be the answer. And that's what COVID, I think, has done. Um, and I mean, it's a pandemic is terrible, obviously, but this has been an opportunity to really rethink the structures that are in place that are harmful, not just for the Pacific, but for, you know, people all around the world, for people living on the climate front lines all around the world. Um, and uh, an example from Fiji specifically is there's this Facebook page called Better for Butter Fiji. And it's this bartering page where, um, you know, because there's all the hotels are closed, no one's got any money to buy anything. Um, we, people started to barter. And it made like, I think the Guardian covered it or something. And it was just this great story of community built resilience and solutions um, that shares a completely different dimension than the dominant narrative that the rest of the world sees of us. And I just like to celebrate again, all of the amazing storytellers on this, on this panel that are, fighting the good fight to change that dominant narrative. Thank you, Drew. So what is your hope um, for storytelling in the future? And, um, and how can we, I guess, use this as a platform to start really thinking about what's the legacy that we're creating and what are we handing on to, to the future, which is our young people? My hope is that um, future generations can, can see that it doesn't take that much to tell a story. But sometimes in Tonga, we have this like mentality that like the foreigners, they can do a better job at, at like those types of like storytelling and stuff like that. Where I'm thinking to myself, like we're, we, us Tongans, we've, we've told stories way long before that. That's how we used to communicate. Like everything would have to be like, we, we'd have to like orally like um, tell stories so we can try to remember these stories for, for like, because um, we didn't do like writing and stuff like that. So we, we told stories way before that. So my hope for like, my hope for the Tongan future is that like we, we ourselves get to tell our own stories and to take advantage of these, you know, of these tools um, uh, online and stuff. My, my hope is that just to start to humanize people using these very um, tools that were readily accessible to us um, at the moment, and then hopefully we can go from there. I believe that uh, young people should know in the Pacific should know that their lives matter and their voices matter and that they have the collective power. Like in Papua New Guinea, uh, it's safe to say that over, I think over half of the population is either young people and uh, women. And sadly, we don't get to see their stories often in the, in the you know, in storytelling, the mainstream media to Facebook, if there's anything happening, it's always, you know, maybe negative. And so I, I think young people should be educated and uh, become aware of the enormous, you know, enormous sort of power they have to in instigate and encourage their own change. And so they should use all platforms, you know, that they have to keep, you know, continue to speak up and talk about issues. Uh, and so, yeah, I believe young people really, like with what we have now, they have all sorts of platforms that they can, you know, 
uh, use to put their voices out there and make themselves be heard. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's all I will say. Comment on that. Thank you, Hilda. Um, Regina. Well, at the moment, like you know, I see like young people. Everyone is learning uh, to use their media platform. You know, you go on YouTube, you teach yourself anything you want to know. And that's something we're missing out on a lot. I mean, back as Joshua stated, 20 years ago, we don't have those kind of access to those kind of equipments. And now we do. And, and just to ensure that everyone, our storytellers, young and our senior ones, are using it in a positive way, that is very important. Um, so it's, it's, it's what um, my sister and I are trying to do with our film festival. Every time we make uh, little film challenges, just to make sure that young people know how to use the platform, um, social media, uh, in in positive way. Yeah, I mean, if if we start telling more diverse stories, I feel like the future could look a lot more hopeful in uh, Western media models. Um, disaster sells, you know, the bad news sells. Whereas if we become a bit more diverse in our storytelling, I feel like it could generate a lot more hope, a lot more empathy, and it could have a compounding effect, you know, if, if young people see more diverse storytellers, um, you know, I think making a, a safe and conducive space to nurture the natural storytelling talent that, that Fiji and the Pacific and PNG already has um, would make way for a great diverse tapestry of stories uh, told about us by us. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful um thoughts all around and very uh, again like I keep repeating this but very interesting and very insightful and um, I can definitely connect and relate to everything that you have all shared um, and I really believe that we do have an audience that will connect with um, everything that you've each talked about. I think what really came out was the importance of having diverse stories um, and also en encouraging this, facilitating this, um, helping our people learn how to use uh, the tools that are available to us um, and also in terms of who is controlling the, the the stories that are being told. As journalists, we can also play a part in how these stories are being shaped and the positive stories that are being told. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, but, yeah, thank, thank, thank you, you everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And that concludes today's Talanoa on Vossa. I'm both thankful and very interested to know, did you enjoy our Talanoa? What did you agree with? What did you disagree with? Drew said that while we do not have a collective narrative, they are dominant narratives and that maybe the world is starting to pay attention to Indigenous solutions as the answer to so many of the problems that we have today. Hilda said that economic privilege plays a huge part in who tells stories and who consumes them on social media, and that 70% of the population in Papua New Guinea still do not have access to the internet, therefore cannot participate in this storytelling on social media. Regina and Chosua say that where the funding goes, the story goes. Yet in this day and age, we have free or cheap tools at our disposal to tell our own stories tools like social media where we can upload our own footage. Please tell us what you think of these insights. I summarized there, but there were so many other things that you may have gathered or drawn or resonated with during today's Talanoa that I'd love to hear about. 
even the things, as I said, that you have disagreed with. Please join us on social media via the Vossa podcast handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For now, thank you again. Vinaka Vakalevu. I look forward to sharing our next Dalana on Vossa with you soon. Bye.